0: Welcome to our November flashback podcast. I'm Stephen Willis and I'm joined by my colleague, Matt Rowe. In this podcast, we will be looking back over the month of November and picking out stories or events that have grabbed our attention and which may be of interest to you. Matt, do you want to start with where we are with inflation? Because it seems to be grabbing a lot of headlines at the moment, not only here in the UK, but also overseas.
1: Yeah, thank you, Stephen. So UK inflation, as measured by the Consumer Prices Index, actually jumped from 3.1% in September to 4.2% in October. So that was way ahead of analysts' predictions of 3.9%. And that's according to the latest figures from the Office of National Statistics. You just mentioned overseas. Well, in the US inflation actually surged to 6.2% in October. So that's actually the highest since 1990. Uh, Now, according to the ONS, the latest spike was actually driven by a rise in energy costs, secondhand cars, as well as restaurants and hotels charging more. Also, we've seen, of course, those increasing prices at the pumps. And that comes after the Bank of England's governor, uh, that's Andrew Bailey, actually warned earlier this month that they think it will probably peak around 5% next April. So
0: Matt, is this a longer term problem, not only here in the UK, but also
1: uh, overseas as well? Well, to date, central banks around the globe have insisted that inflation is transitory. Uh, I think that's the word of the month. The US Federal Reserve, as as they put it simply, um, transitory really implies that rising prices won't leave a permanent mark in form of higher inflation. But despite this, there is actually increasing data to suggest that there's more of a longer period of structural inflation, which could be a problem. Now, with the US Federal Reserve Bank meeting on the 15th of December, and the European Central Bank meeting on the 16th, we should have a better indication as to what measures are likely to come. So that could come in the form of hikes in interest rates, for example, which you know they may be prepared to implement sooner rather than later. So if central banks have got it wrong,
0: I would suggest there's going to be a credibility issue here with the financial markets, which moving forward isn't a good thing.
1: Yeah, you well, know, if anybody caught Jerome Powell's testimony that he did last week before Congress, he did do actually a little bit of backpedalling with the US senators, explaining that the risk of persistent higher inflation has clearly risen and inflationary pressures are likely to linger well into next year. And interestingly, he also told them that they're going to stop using the term transitory to avoid confusion. So turning
0: now to the government's social care reforms, which it recently reported on, there is widespread concern amongst commentators over the government's plans to exclude both the financial help people get to cover their care and their living costs, for example, rent, food and utility bills from the new cap on costs of £86,000, which also applies equally to those in a care home as well as those living in their own home. Matt, this appears it will hit the poorest savers the hardest.
1: Yeah, it certainly appears so. I mean, the UK government has proposed a national notional charge for room and board or daily living costs of £200 a week. And now this is bad news for those people who want a higher level of care because the local authority will effectively assess how much care you need and only this need, spending, will count towards the cap. So, for example, with agreement, if an individual is paying, say, £700 per week to a care home, £200 of that will be deemed daily living costs and the remaining £500 is care needs. So it's only actually that £500 per week, which will count towards the £86,000 cap. So if you decided to pay for additional care to make your life less difficult, such as, you know, maybe longer visits in your home or amenities in your care home room, none of that will actually count towards the cap.
0: Yes, I mean, in our previous podcast, Long Term Care essential considerations. We mentioned that the average time someone spends in care is about three years. So I think the governments have been quite shrewd in their calculations that the vast majority won't actually get to the point where they exceed that cap on costs of £86,000. I mean, again, in summary, it's another government policy, which is frankly as clear as mud. We look back on surveys throughout the month, and Matt, are there
1: any that have caught your particular eye? Yeah, there's, there's two in particular which people may be interested in. A recent survey of 5,000 consumers revealed that actually 40% of 18 to 34-year-olds say that they would consider income protection as a result of COVID-19 when they wouldn't have previously Now, that compares to only 19% of those aged 35 to 54, and just over 4% for over 50s. So another survey, uh, which is according to research from Scottish widows, young women will actually need to save an average of £185,000 more during their working life to enjoy the same retirement income as men. Now, this 2021 report, which has actually been running annually since as far back as 2006, actually reveals that women currently in their 20s will only have saved around £250,000 by the time they retire. But men, on the other hand, will have saved closer to 350000 on average. Now, added to this, when we think about life expectancy... A 25 year old man today will actually live to 86 based on current estimates, whilst a woman can live to the age of 89. Now, with women living three years longer than men, the average woman would actually need to save 400,000 in her retirement pot to achieve the same level of retirement income as a man with 350,000. So there's a massive disparity there. Now, with longer living comes a greater need for care in old age. Estimates suggest women spend on average of 460 days in care homes, whilst men spend just 100. Now, with the average cost of care being £679 per week, that means women can expect to spend £35,000 more than men. Now, overall, this means that women need to save an extra 185000 to achieve the same retirement lifestyle as a man. So, this would require extra savings of £2,500 a year, or if you were to put that in monthly terms, £210 a month. So, from their mid 20s until the day they retire. Now, this year's report also revealed that the same proportion of men and women are now saving enough for a comfortable retirement 61%, for the first time on record.
0: That's encouraging news, Matt, certainly on the provision of contributing more towards retirement. Some good news items I picked up on. The first is it's good to see the government has launched a new plan to help businesses double UK exports and sell their world-class products around the globe. They've introduced a 12-point export strategy entitled Made in the UK, Sold to the World, which has been published by the Department for International Trade and is intended to help UK businesses reap the benefits from the various free trade deals. This includes an export support service with exporting advice and the launch of a new UK trade show program tailored to help businesses, particularly those businesses outside of London and the Southeast, and to attend and promote their products around the world. My second good news item is a study of 3,000 adults has found that financial advice is intrinsically linked to improved mental health. According to research conducted by HSBC's insurance business, nearly three quarters of UK adults who have sought regulated advice or financial advice are more likely to have average or above average mental health. For those who don't seek advice, 42% said their mental health has slipped below average. Uh, Now, this pattern is similar for those who engage in ongoing financial planning, which, of course, is very much at the core of what we do here at Piercefield Oliver. Nearly three quarters of people who review their financial plan annually benefit from average or above average mental health, whilst half of those without a financial plan said they have below average mental health. Needless to say, Matt and I completely agree with these findings. It's no surprise to us, certainly from the the feedback that we get from our clients when we review, certainly from a financial planning perspective. With that, I'll wrap up. We hope you've enjoyed listening and look forward to bringing you future flashback podcasts. Until then, take care.